Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone, and thank you for being in one of our episodes of Material Business. Today, it is a very special day. I have Alicia with me, and we have been trying to get this podcast, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about this in a second. But um, Alicia is someone that uh, I look up to, and she has done a lot of research. Uh, she's brilliant, and I am very, very, very help- grateful that she accepted to be in the podcast, and she's here with us today sharing her knowledge. Thank you, Alicia. Thanks a lot, Monica. So, Alicia, um, Alicia Valero Delgado is a senior researcher and a head of industrial ecology group at the Research Center of the Energy Resources and Consumption, CIRSE Institute, and is, associ- is an associated professor at the University of Zaragoza in Mechanical Engineering Department. Her research has focused on identifying resource efficiency measures and applying thermodynamics in evaluating resource depletion a subject from which she has received four international awards. Congratulations. Thank you. She studied chemical engineer at the University of Zaragoza, finishing her education at the University Paul Sebastian in Toulouse and TU Berlin. Shortly afterwards, she became a junior research at the Siemens Power Generation Berlin and a consultant at Prinzwaterhouse Coppers, Madrid. She entered the Research Center for Energy Resources and Consumption Circe in 2003 and finished her PhD in 2008 with a research stay at the British Geological Survey. She is the author and co-author of over 100 papers in international journals and book chapters relating to analyzing and optimizing energy and using raw materials. Together with her father, Antonio Valero, she developed Danatia's theory. I read a chapter and it's really, really fantastic. Thank you for being here, Alicia, with us today. Thanks a lot for the invitation and that we finally made it. (laughs) I know, and we're going to tell the audience what happened. We had this episode scheduled back in uh, the springtime. And I was in Brack Creek here in Alberta, and it was the evacuation at that moment because we had so much water flooding and it was so confusing for everyone. And the very morning that we had this um, scheduled, I had to take my laptop and fled away because it was evacuation moment at that time. So for all of those that think that this transition that we are going and the the effects uh, in nature is not real. It is real. And we were just speaking with Alicia before we started that we almost couldn't have this precious podcast episode because I couldn't be there because I had to flee because we were getting flooded. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely. When it touches you, then you understand that it is really as something real is happening and you can't de- deny it. Yeah, it is like that. Yeah, we suffer from climate change in Spain as well. It is. It is so, so very real. So anyway, after that dramatic introduction, <laughs> thank you for your patience. Thank you for accepting uh, coming back. 
Yeah, after after that cancellation, last minute. And my my first question to you last time when we spoke, I was amazed by how you explained to me the all of the the examples of the raw materials that are in depletion, and that struck me because as a metallurgist we use a lot of those materials to make anti-corrosive materials. So those elements that are in depletion are going to get affected. And then, so that I kept that on my mind. So can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yes, of course. It is a fact that we are requiring exponentially more uh, resources from the earth. And obviously, this means also more raw materials. And um, it is not only that we require more raw materials, like for instance, steel or copper, but also that we require specifically scarce materials in the crust in order to drive the so-called energy transition. So we need uh, more rare earths for the permanent magnets of wind turbines, we need um, other specific materials for thin film photovoltaics, for instance, the so-called six. And a vehicle, a vehicle has almost the whole entire periodic table in it. And electri um, uh, with electronics, and a vehicle has a lot of electronics, and we are surrounded by electronics. Well, electronics has a lot of raw materials, and such raw materials, many of them are very scarce. And scarce, not only in terms of quantity, there is quantity, but you have to think that uh, you need to find a deposit and it takes maybe 15 minutes once you have found a deposit and you extract it until you can really uh, make use of, of such resources. And also already existing resources and mineral deposits, what we are seeing is that they become uh, slowly depleted. So we have extracted already the low-hanging fruits, which means that uh, in the future, or I would say now at present, because this is the case, for instance, uh, for copper in Chile and, and many other resources, when it becomes more difficult to extract the next ton of whatever, whichever material, which means more energy. So this is something that we should look at and it's okay to have all the, those materials in the technosphere, but it is not okay to deplete them or to just throw them away because once they are dispersed, because they will not become lost, materials do not become lost as opposed to, to fossil fuels, but materials become dispersed. And once they are dispersed, thermodynamically speaking, it is very difficult or almost impossible to use them again because uh, you need such an amount of energy to reconcentrate them that it is just worthless. And that was what fascinated me last time when I spoke with you. That's why I wanted to bring you so much um, in here because everyone says, okay, but it is recycling and we can recycle that. And let's just speak about, for example, the, the wind turbines, the huge uh, you know, elements in wind turbines and then the blades, which are other 
material which is not metallic and that's another bucket yeah but the 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 metallic materials don't get recycled in the proper way because what you are just saying it requires such amount of energy right right so yeah go ahead yeah yeah it is um obviously we should aspire to the so-called circular economy we should try to recycle everything right the problem here is that well first thermodynamically speaking closing cycles is impossible this is why we call it spiral economy and not circular economy that said we're still very far removed from that uh, maximum let's say because uh, everything all the technologies are not thought in the end of life. So uh, everything becomes mixed, all the materials become mixed and in small quantities. And in the end, recovering a mixture of, uh, I always put this example, if you mix sugar and salt, now try to demix sugar and salt it is it is uh, you you would throw away the mixture well this is what is happening with technologies we're mixing sugar salt flour and everything together and and then when the the equipment arrives at the end of life then you cannot extract them at least if it is possible technologically economically it is not possible and uh, on top of that uh, the end of end of life uh, technologies are still very mature, so we need to um, do a lot of development, research and development in end of life uh, technologies. But the very first thing that we have to do is to design products properly, because otherwise, even if you if you have the best technologies for the end of life, you will never be able to recover the materials uh, in a high rate, let's say. And that is what we have been saying with a lot of the people that have come to the podcast and in different industries, for example, the medical industry with the implants that go inside the body of the person or in the chemical or petrochemical or the oil and gas industry and uh, the manufacturing industry so all of the research and development it's led us to this conclusion we really need to be more efficient at designing mm-hmm. so what are, are some of those tips on designing having that in mind the end of life that you can bring to to the audience yeah i put this example and it is a very spanish example since i come from spain and i put the example of a clay jack what is a clay jack it's called botijo in spain but it is a jack made out of clay and it is used to drink water why do i put this example because this magical jack is so simple but it keeps water cool even if you do not incorporate energy to it. So it is extremely efficient because of a, a thermodynamic uh, process. Um, well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it keeps, if you put it the jack on the sun, 
it's like sweating and then the water keeps inside cool, right? So this clay jack is efficient. It is, it has a very simple design. It uses local and cheap materials, just clay. It is robust. It is easy to repair because it's, it's just one material. And also it creates a sense of community because this clay jack was used uh, by uh, the people uh, working in, uh, in the fields, for instance, and it was used by families all drinking water out of, of the same um, jack. And it, it is exactly that what we need. This is, I would say, one of the examples of what we need to apply in the future. So it's, it's I would say, uh, back to the roots, back to the future. We do not have to reinvent the wheel. Obviously, we should use the new technologies and the new knowledge that we have developed. But there are things that we did in a very uh, right way because in the past there were there was scarcity, scarcity because of many well many reasons. But um, the way I see it, we are approaching also a kind of of scarcity uh, uh, horizon. So in that way, we need to make everything very efficient, efficient in terms of energy, efficient in terms of the raw materials used, thinking in the end of life, avoiding mix, mixtures, impossible to recycle, to recycle, and also create somehow a sense of community, of sharing, because uh, we have been exploiting resources uh, at so high rates and in a finite planet, this is just impossible to continue with, with this exponential growth. So we really need to go back to the roots, back to the future and try to find ways to, uh, well, to reduce and to uh, go back to the right path, which, uh, which, uh, which is in line of nature, I would say. That's a beautiful statement. So it's not only economically uh, feasible, it is a reality that we are facing. And then it also will bring a sense of well-being uh, individually, but also as a community. So it is, it is bringing us back to the roots. And I like very much how you say it, back to the roots, how do you say it again? Back to the roots, back to the future. Back to the future. It is very, uh, it's very concise, but so powerful because it is that sometimes we made things very simple and they worked for many, many years. Um, like when you and I spoke last time, we spoke about the cars and how it is uh, a factory can create a car in two days, one day, but they cannot dis disassemble all that vehicle yeah. because there is just not factory to do that. Yeah. Exactly. We need also uh, not only efficiency in products, but also efficiency in processes. And um, every factory needs really to have a part-to-part -part strategy, which means that 
uh, a product should be thought of a, not of a source of materials at the end of life, but a source of spare parts. And that same factory should be able to disassemble what uh, that what has been assembled before. And as you say, a car factory can produce or brings out a car every two minutes, yet it is unable to disassemble a single car. And this is a disaster and something needs to be done. And I think that especially the car industry, because of this sh um, shortage of raw materials and that they are facing, uh, they are now trying to rethink the way they have been producing. That's very interesting. And we have, we're talking about the car industry or automo automobiles, um, but what is another industry that you have seen um, taking the leap on saying, okay, yeah, we have done something in a way that is not very in the right way. How can we make this in the right way? Well, um, talking about products, I would say that the car industry, if the car industry is going that way, all the other industries will go the, that way because they are at least in Europe, they are a leading industry. And for instance, I don't know, washing machine uh, manufacturers look at what they are doing because they will come next. Mm -hmm. So for manufacturers, I would say that, that the car industry is one of the most important, but obviously electronics in general, they should uh, really think of this uh, supply issues we are, we have been uh, listening to the news about Apple, uh, rethinking the way they are doing the, the mobile phones, and also uh, going back to the car uh, manufacturers that they, they are now um, uh, becoming uh, owners of, uh, of, of, uh, of uh, mineral deposits and also of end of life of recycling possibilities because they need so much all such raw materials they are in a need in a really real need that they cannot afford to stop the production lines for one two months as they as as has been the case in the last two years so this is really uh for them, it is a very, very important issue. But then we have other industries that produce the materials, uh, the steel industry and others, the cement industry. So they all need to look into other ways of producing. For instance, all the energy intensive materials are thinking of uh, switching to hydrogen, for instance, the fertilizer industry as well. And obviously, this is uh, this this will be a need not just because of uh, of uh, let's say um, regulations from the governments, but also because the, it is really a need, an economic need, because prices are so high, because uh, um, they are not getting uh, all all the raw materials required for their production processes, etc. So it is, I would say, a revolution. It is a new uh, a new era of producing things, and hopefully also of for us as consumers of using all such things. Absolutely, absolutely. So 
What do you say a person, a normal person, like you and me? Not not taking aside our titles and the thermodynamic mindset or the metallurgical and corrosion mindset, we take that away. We're just, you know, normal people. What can someone that is listening to us that is, you know, normal person, not, you know, access to all those things? What can they do? Because a lot of times what I find is people, and even in my sector, people will say, well, like, we don't have any influence on that. That's I already use my cloth bag instead of plastic bag. I'm already doing things. I'm already helping. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> but what can what are some of those ideas we can give the audience? What how can we do? How can we help? Sometimes we feel powerless because it's someone someone else's decision, someone else's goal and sign that we need to do this transition by 2030. And how is that affecting me? How can I do something? Yeah, I know it is uh, sometimes uh, difficult to bring to the audience all such messages which are saying, oh, the situation is not good, so I'm going to be depressed and I'm just going to consume as much as possible as long as I can. So that's obviously not the, the way to go. And I would say that um, I would start with something small, which might be small, but might be very representative and might be uh, the uh, uh, the start of a new way of doing. And I don't know, it can be something like uh, I will just uh, not use my car, my personal car and try to go uh, to to my work uh, through bike or through uh, uh, public transportation, or I will just buy my fruit from just from from the uh, from the magazine around the corner, which are small things but are very powerful. Can be very powerful, and also try to disseminate and be an example to the people that surround you. Because if you are able to to tell your your uh, mates uh, that you have been able to do this, to do this step, then probably your your fellows will also follow you. So I would say to not give up, make these small changes in your life and everything will come. And I hope as soon as possible. For sure, for sure. Like being the change that you want to see. Exactly. It is. It is definitely a way of bringing that awareness. Now, we spoke about in general. What about people in the area that we are speaking? People in, you know, the materials, the welding. the And I know you said when you were talking about mixing all this, and I'm like, oh, my God, and we weld, and we do, you know, high mixes of things, so we protect the materials from corroding so in in that sense what would you say we can uh, and how can we tackle that because we are in a position of sometimes decision right we are designing we are stamping our drawings it is we are the ones that are taking those uh, approaches of course 
Well, um, there's a bit of controversy here because um, you usually find uh, exceptional papers on uh, new materials with great qualities, uh, properties, functionalities, etc. But then you you see that these are because it is a mixture of many different elements, the so-called high entropy alloys. For those that are not familiar with thermodynamics, entropy mix means um, disorder, right? So if you incorporate disorder, then try to demix or try to make order again. It is not the... It, it does the effort to mix is not the same as the effort to demix. It is exponentially more difficult to demix than to mix, right? So we need to keep that in mind. Um, that said, obviously, um, there are materials in, in the beginning of life, avoiding corrosion, for instance, when we talked about that, it, it is extremely important because it is a way to protect those materials and to avoid that all such materials become dispersed. So it is okay and we should really uh, think of, of doing protective coatings, etc. The problem comes when, for instance, in a car, because we might have 15 or even more alloys in a car, uh, some of them are, are, are really uh, very uh, uh, high valuable alloys, others not. But when you mix everything, and I, I am not talking about the materials, but I am talking about the, the car. When you shred the car and then you separate the ferros from the non-ferros and the others, the residues, the uh, wastes, um, well, we are mixing all kinds of steel together. So. If you have a really very, very uh, high valuable steel and you mix it with steel from a washing machine, for instance, then what you get is a bad steel. And you're, if you want to make again that uh, good steel, then you will have to incorporate vanadium, chromium, nickel, etc. And what is worse, probably you will have copper in the mixture and then your mixture just uh, can be thrown away depending on what, or you have to incorporate a lot of uh, new virgin material, which then tells you, okay, if I didn't have that recycled material, I would have um, required less a new feed than uh, now because I have to dilute or the pollutants that are in the mixture. So here again, the problem is uh, the end of life. So it's okay to have good materials as long as we are able to uh, recover those parts again. So this is why I really would like to strengthen the part-to-part -part strategy. So materials need to be, if especially if they are made out of uh, of uh, high strength steels or whatever, we need to make sure that they can be disassembled separately and that we can use them over and over again. So avoid welding, avoid, <laughs> yes, avoid gluing. How about rivets? 
if we use rivets, then we can take them again, just in the aircraft industry. That uh, really does this in a very good way because they are they try to uh, to recover the parts and try to uh, well to exchange parts when something something becomes uh, obsolete or whatever. So that would be my my advice to uh, the industry working on 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 corrosion or whatever. So it's okay, you're doing a great job, but <laughs> but really think of um, of uh, if you are not responsible for the materials that come later. Well, tell them, well, this is a very high strength material with incorporating uh, very scarce materials, very scarce elements. So make sure that you are not losing or you're mixing this this uh, steel or, or this material. And that is a great point, like just having, um, as I was hearing you speak, just having dissemination points, maybe for the end of life when we're going to do recycling is, okay, that pipe or that piece of uh, vessel uh, or tank, it it became, um, we can't use it anymore. It's not feasible to continue use, use it. So how can how are we going to segregate that material that is say high nickel or a high chromium nickel alloy from the rest of the just normal carbon steel? So we can take those elements that are so valuable and that we are, you know, losing. Yeah, you will not be able, in general, you will not be able to de-alloy an alloy. It is it is just a very hard task. So you will you have to live with the understanding that you will lose them. Mm -hmm. So knowing that what you have to do is do not mix that steel, that high strength steel with other low quality steels. Yeah. Because you can remelt again that is uh, steel from the tongue, which is a high quality steel, and then, uh, well, uh, remanufacture again a new tank or whatever. The problem is when you mix that with other kinds of steel where mm -hmm. you, you're going to dilute all your really valuable elements. Oh, that's a, that's a really good way of putting it together. So instead of mixing everything uh, to create something at the end, just special, let's say, high chromium, high nickel in this line, high chromium exactly. only in this line, molybdenum and vanadium in this line. And exactly. then that way it is just recreating the same material from there. Exactly. No, oh, that's excellent. It's a, it's a great insight. Thank you. It's like uh, for glass. If you mix uh, brown glass with uh, white glass, with uh, green glass, then you you will not be able to produce white glass again. Mm -hmm. So if you segregate uh, your materials according to their uh, qualities, then it will be easier for you to recreate the uh, first product again. Oh, that's a, that's a really good and easy way to picture out in our minds. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So we are speaking about elements and how some of those raw materials are going to be scarce. In, and some of them are really at the verge of being in a, in a 
in a critical point. Um, I don't know if something changed from last time that we spoke, uh, but I know that every time it's more elements get added into the periodic table that shows us red and orange and yellows according to the availability of those mm. of those raw elements. Yeah, in the governments uh, usually uh, set out a critical raw material lists. Canada, there's one list I know. In the European Union, there's another one. In the US and so on, and in Australia and so forth. Um, it is a fact that this list becomes bigger and bigger. For instance, uh, from the European Union where I am, well, we started, I believe, with uh, 14 elements. Now we are, we have over 30, 34, I believe. I don't know the how we how it is in Canada and in other parts, but I I know that they are increasing. I just read from the British Geological Survey um, that they are considering to increase uh, the list of uh, well of 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 scarce materials into 84, which is okay. The whole periodic table is is critical. Why? Because it is a matter of exponential growth. If you continue uh, growing exponentially, well, this is just impossible in a finite planet. Exponential growth is impossible. So even uh, aluminum, copper, are mm. now and nickel, which are quite abundant in the crust, are now strategic elements as according to the European Union. So if these elements that are abundant are in that list, well, everything will become uh, sooner or later um, critical. Absolutely, absolutely. And adding to that, there is some political issues that when some country has resources in their soils, then they they get the power, right? I get it. I get that vanadium or whatever it is that it is so required and everyone wants it and it's me that has it. So it is adding another another element to the equation is not only it's scarce but also it's giving some countries power of retention and increasing mm -hmm. increasing uh, prices and yeah sec absolutely security of supply is a very big headache for the governments we are relying the world is relying mostly on china china owns uh either the deposits in, in its own country or it owns the deposits or the value chain in other countries, such as Latin America, Africa, they are buying uh, land with uh, all such uh, materials. And um, at least in Europe, what I can say is that the governments are trying to re-industrialize Europe because we have been, um, well, we have uh, outsourced the primary production, which is very pollutant, but also the, the manufacturing industry, most of the manufacturing industry has been outsourced mostly to China because well, the emissions are uh, computed 
to the Chinese or to elsewhere, and it is uh, more, it is cheaper. The labor is cheaper over there, so we get the high quality or the uh, we produce the high quality products. But now we are seeing that this uh, this doesn't work anymore. Because if the Chinese are saying, I, I am not going to give you the rare earths, well, you are not going to be able to produce the windmills. Or the, if I am not giving you the battery materials, you are not going to be able to produce the electric vehicles. And this is something that is a reality right now. And that is uh, really very scary in terms of, of, uh, of policy making. And this needs to be changed. However, we have been following that uh, that uh, strategy, that economic strategy for decades, and now trying to go back uh, to local sourcing is not that easy. So um, there's there's a big challenge out there, and uh, let's see how how we're going to manage that. Yeah, it seems like we are in a transition of many things. Uh, transition socially, uh, individually, collectively as a countries and trying to go into this, uh, the so-called, like you said, greener or the, the other alternatives of energy, um, but we still require processes, policies, guidance on how we are going to effectively make it not only uh, from an economic aspect but everything that comes around it so yeah. it is it is very important and when we say transition a lot of the people think about emissions and that is the first thing that comes to mind to everyone but really there is a, a huge uh, a spectrum of elements and things that need to be looked at. The depletion of materials is one of the biggest, in my opinion, to be able to effectively do any transition at all. Yes, that is true. We, I think uh, I started uh, giving a lesson uh, at my university about climate change almost 20 years ago, and nobody Nobody knew about climate change, about the Kyoto Protocol. This was something new for them. But now I still give that uh, lesson. It's not just about climate change, it's about sustainability. And all the students know about climate change, which is nice. Yet, um, when you talk about material scarcity, nobody knows about it. So um, it will come and it is now coming because uh, well, we are all suffering of uh, not getting something which was uh, easy to get or or everything that is becoming more and more expensive. And in, in the in the past, it wasn't the case. Right. But um, we really need to make that change. And uh, awareness is uh, key. And in I can say from my university that there is no awareness at all. So we know a lot of math, physics from an engineering school, um, uh, thermodynamics or whatever, but we really 
do not know about how the world is moving, the relationship to our planet, we have no idea. And I think it is key because we need ethics in the way we do things. And if we are not incorporating that ethics mm -hmm. and the social aspects, the environmental aspects, not just the economic ones, then uh, we will lose as human, as, as human beings. Wow, and that's very powerful, exactly. We need to reconnect the roots um, and then understand all those things uh, together on how it is, where is that coming from and then how it is uh, made. And we had that, like as a kid growing up in Latin America, I had that experience firsthand, but I noticed See my kid, for example, here sometimes is not the same approach. And then looking at the product themselves, uh, it's, it, they don't have the idea of what the, the whole cycle that is behind production of that specific, a specific material or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. We need to reconnect with nature, as you said. Yeah. Alicia, the time has flown so fast. I am fascinated. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for explaining it in a way that is so easy to understand because you bring real examples and then everyone can imagine the botijo. And, you know, <laughs> I remember the people in the past drinking out of it or the car or it's really making sense in the minds when it is explained. Something so complex like thermodynamics are explained in an easy way. Thank you for being that, you know, bringer of, of uh, the subjects in an easy way for everyone to understand. You're welcome and thanks a lot for inviting me. Do you have any last uh, message for the audience? everyone that is listening to material business and it is, that comes here every two weeks and listen and read and visualize everything that we are saying, what would you say to them? Well, I would say that, uh, that uh, we still have time to change, to reconnect with nature, but we have to do it as soon as possible. And if we really think in how to reconnect with nature, then we will all win and especially the future generations. Amazing. Really good close out. Again, thank you uh, to Alicia. Thank you to all the listeners and uh, for making us grow and uh, for sharing. It is my real pleasure to be your host. And with that, uh, I'll thank you all. Thank you, Alicia, very much and have a great evening. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.